Now, our first witness this morning is Butch. Well, when the fight broke out, I got stabbed in the back, and I, I pulled my knife and hit him. That was the first person I ever killed. Butch Crouch was a hell's angel who'd murdered people and then rolled over and became a government witness. He was giving up details of this crime only somebody that was there would have known about. What good's a man? In his right hand, he had an automatic handgun and blood over his chest. What exactly happened here? Two people were murdered. A house was set on fire. Because of Crouch, I've been hiding in the witness protection program for most of my life. But I'm done hiding. From C-13 Originals, a division of Cadence 13, welcome to Relative Unknown, a new podcast about the stories and family we can't escape. Download Relative Unknown for free now on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your shows. Welcome, everyone, to What Really Happened, the interview series. This is your humble host, Andrew Jenks. Hey, um, if you have the time, I'd really appreciate it if you could go to the Apple Podcast comments link and just write something nice. I've... I got to stop checking it, but there's a few people out there who are really, you know, I think we got to level it up, even though we have a four or five. So let's get right into things. The New York Times called the film brilliant. Spike Lee said, despite it being all white people, this movie gave me either chills, tears, or had me at the edge of my seat. It went on to make $750 million. When two-time Academy Award winner Andrew Stanton made the 2012 film John Carter, he and Disney were hoping, perhaps expecting, all of those things to be true. The Spike Lee thing, I kind of went a bit awry there, but either way, they were anticipating a hit and a huge box office success. But instead, the film was panned. It lost a quarter of a billion dollars and is considered one of the biggest box office flops in history. Before listening to the following interview, I really suggest listening to John Carter, Anatomy of a Box Office Flop. It was one of our most popular episodes from season two. And it's about this film, John Carter, that was directed by Andrew Stanton. Uh, Since the movie was released in 2012, Andrew Stanton hadn't done an interview about the movie until recently, now about eight years later. And we spoke for almost two hours So parts of it I I cut down, particularly parts that already were in the main episode. And so now here is my interview with Andrew Stanton, who again has won two Academy Awards for Finding Nemo and WALL-E. He's also written or directed or been a part of all of the Toy Story movies. Uh, I'll interject once or twice to provide some context, but otherwise, enjoy. Hello? How you started your... TED Talk was probably the best way to start a TED Talk I've ever heard in my swearing. life. Swearing? <laughs> S- swearing and just that. Implying bestiality. That little yeah. story was, un- where did you get that from? Um, honestly, uh, wow, I've never been asked that. Um, when I started work at Pixar, uh, we it was before the internet and before and email wasn't called email yet, but it was actually the form of communicating between some other tech companies and some, uh, colleges. And one of the earliest things that started to like sort of go around were jokes. 
Got it. Do you mind telling the joke? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been a while. I'll probably <laughs> tell it the same way. Um, but um, a guy's backpacking through uh, northern Scotland, and he stops at a pub, and the only guy in there is an old man nursing a beer, and he sits down and orders a beer himself, and they sit in silence for a while. And then suddenly the old man turns to him and just starts speaking to him. And he goes, you see this bar? I built this bar with my bare hands. Use the finest wood in the county, but do they call me McGregor, the bar builder? No. Sit in silence, drinking for a little bit longer. And then he suddenly points out the window and says, you see that stone wall out there? I built that stone wall with my bare hands. Put each rock, placed it just so, but do they call me McGregor, the stone wall builder? No points out the other window and says, you see that pier on the lake out there? I built that pier with my bare hands, drove the piling into the sand, worked against the tide, plank by plank, but they call me McGregor, the pier builder? No. But you fuck one goat. <laughs> you know. And I've heard people say that, you know, but you shag one sheep has been another, you know. But to me, there's the K and the G. Right. The tea. Right. It's just funnier. Oh wow, that's that's very <laughs> Seinfeld about really thinking through how you even yeah. deliver the word. Yeah, and to me huh. it was all about each it's the you know um uh with repeating with my bare hands and stretching each of the each example gets a little bit more flowery, a little right. bit middle, little bit more romantic. Huh. <laughs> so you're just you just can feel the payoff getting like right. the, the the pebble in the slingshot getting pulled back a little farther each time like wait for it wait right. for it you know and Got i it. just remember reading a, several jokes and that to this day uh, to me i thought it was the funniest one of the funniest jokes i read and as i got more into story i really did recognize that like because i remember reading there's a book by david mamet called on directing or on directing film yep. i may have yeah. and uh that was a really early influencer of of film for me hmm. and he um said that story writing is basically joke writing and um and i always got it like like i have like a sixth grader brain and it takes a i have to really simplify things down which turns out to be an asset at the end of the day for communicating and that joke to me was the best constructed joke because it really is all about the last line yeah and you can really go underneath the hood of that if you geek out and see how much you know the pattern of repeat and 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 the more flowery and entertaining you make each of these moments the more the the higher you're building up this protagonist to fall from uh when you get the last line and so it really is uh, all your decisions in how you tell that joke are based on the end result uh, the, or the end statement and it's a really great reminder of what you should be doing under the hood of any story, you know. Between all of the projects you've done, which I'll talk about in the podcast, and not just, there's a, it's like one thing to be prolific, but then another thing to have movies that are some, some of the best films of all time. Hmm. Um, and also films, at least for me, like WALL-E, where somehow it's, it's a film that's also about consumerism, environmentalism, uh, and really like, trying to tell important get they have incredibly important values uh and it's speaking to a young audience and yeah. what could be more important than that really yeah. and so i'm curious where does that stem from in you the the idea of telling films that that really can make a big difference i i think i stumble into the um 
the noble side of these things. <laughs> I think really? I'm, a, I'm, yeah, I'm in my, because you list those things and I go, and I, and I get a, I get bored <laughs> just hearing that. I'm like, I, I hate being preached to myself in, especially in, in, or I hate. Well, I they're hate, not just to be clear. They're, they're obviously not being preached. No, to. they're not. No, they're <laughs> yeah. not. And, but, but that's, that's where I'm coming from is that I, I, I want, I want to come to my own decisions about something when I'm a viewer, when I'm an audience member. I, I want the manipulation hidden from me in my in my narr- in the in the narratives that I watch. Um, I just want to get caught up, and and I f- and I feel that your your biggest insurance is when you're working with the truth of something, and um, sometimes the truth the truth is often messy. The truth is often complicated and it's nuanced uh, and it's our desire to understand it and be storytellers that make us simplify it just so that we can kind of get lipstick on the pig. <laughs> and and uh, so um, any of those things that you list with Wally, they, they kind of came honestly, like uh, they, they were byproducts in a weird way of me just wanting to explore the issue of loneliness. And uh, I, because I remember when we were spitballing ideas uh, early on in in early Pixar days, we came across the idea of a little robot that got left on when everybody left Earth and didn't didn't know any other situation, but just just that character situation of how futile that sounded and how lonely, how much you, how much pr- loneliness you projected on that character just for saying that little description i don't know anything about this character i don't know what it looks like i don't know the situation yet you give me that little description and i feel so sorry for it and i just thought wow we work so hard for years often to get that kind of empathy in a character you know i i still have the scars on my back from trying to make woody anybody that you would care about in the first couple years Mm -hmm. so to have something just sitting there that that evoked so much empathy from the audience I knew it was, it was really powerful material, and and I just kind of worked from there over the years. And so the opposite of loneliness is love, and then why possibly was everybody leaving? So things like big box companies and trash everywhere. The more I go on the couch about it, the more I can see pieces in my childhood of like, oh, we we were the first town in New England to recycle in the seventies, and I remember going to the dump and wondering where all this stuff went. And then I remember uh, being the first adopter of one click on Amazon and we would just get so many boxes per day coming to our house. And I just go, where does all this stuff go? And so I just am using a lot of experience and, yeah. and our, or truth of experience uh, or universal truth to just service my bigger need, which yeah. is I want to explore loneliness. So that's really... So I feel a little disingenuous when I go, oh, what's, you know, what was I trying to tell the kids with ecology or what was I trying to tell them with, like, these are all things that do matter and care, but I don't directly care about them. I, I, I care about them because they help my story, <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think you're being a little, but you're, I mean, that's the goal, right? Is to tell mm-hmm. the best story possible and to yeah. tell an entertaining one. But it sounds like by being a curious guy who's who's growing up with certain surroundings, you're thinking, well, consumerism or or environment will 
play a part in things moving forward. And so that helps color in the story. Yeah. And I think you find out almost after the fact concerns or issues you have, whether they're internal or external in your life, just for doing the exercise of making a movie. And you don't, you don't, you don't, you're, you're often in the best way on autopilot and you're just going with where your interest seems to, or your focus seems to fall, you know? Um, you know, you said a second ago, I, I can't help but not move past it, that uh, I have a feeling it wasn't, it wasn't false humility. Maybe it was to some extent, but, uh, that you're, you're, a, you're kind of a sixth grader with, with most things. Yes. But, and you didn't say this, but I would say then, but parallel to a storytelling savant of sorts, how does, in what ways are you a, a sixth grader? I just, um, the best way I can explain it is my brain understands things in checker moves, not chess moves, <laughs> but I'm attracted to how sophisticated and clever chess moves are. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it just, I, I learned a long time ago that I, I didn't, um, I was just telling my wife this the other day, actually, I realized there were sort of two moments in the nineties that when I combined them kind of influenced my embracing that part of me. One was working with Steve Jobs all the time and being in all these meetings. And one of the things, if, if he was told something or, or given something to chew on, if he didn't have an answer for it right away, if he was asked something, he had no problem just sitting there forever until he did. Huh. And it was, it's a very strange thing to experience, like just letting a whole room sit there a minute's a very long time, if that's the case, yeah. um, until he had something worth saying back. And he got his thoughts in order and the confidence in that, in just like, that's who he was and that's what he needed to do, um, because he cared more about where the result was going to go than whether he was following protocol. And then around the same time, because we were trying to see who might be cast as this character, uh, Woody in Toy Story, um, uh, and we finally cast Hanks, um, uh, soon after we cast him, he was in Philadelphia. So I was very keen to see what the next thing that he did was. And there's a scene where he comes early on to get a lawyer and he goes to Denzel Washington and Denzel Washington says, explain it to me like I'm a sixth grader. And I remember thinking, oh, I didn't know you could do that. I was in my twenties and I thought I, I, I thought I had to act old to just impress everybody else. I didn't know I could change the rules and just go, you know what? I'm only this smart. So you're going to have to come down to my level. Right. And so between those two sort of examples, I, I learned to just, uh, not be apologetic for how my brain works. And it's serviced me so well ever since, uh, particularly in the area of having to uh, communicate to other people and, 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 and to understand things because there's so much, so much of your time spent, uh, is problem solving, uh, particularly for us. It's so much story problem solving and it's very abstract. There's really no right or wrongs. There's just, this is not working and this isn't working. So it's very much like trying to make something funny. You, you don't get too into the weeds because when you, if you're afraid the you're, you're superstitious, you might kill it for mm. analyzing it too much. Yeah. But there is a certain level of understanding something so you know how to correctly diagnose the problem and then fix it. And so I can only be as good as I understand something. And so once I was able to own, oh, this is how I understand something, it's at, a, at what I call, for lack of a better term, sixth grade level. Right. Um, 
then then I have no problem going. We're gonna we're gonna work on this longer, or explain it to me longer, or deal with it longer until I get it. Right. And once I get it, I can be super useful. Um, and I've never looked back ever since then. So that's what that all means. That's cool. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. That reminds me of uh, I forget in an interview somewhere you said. I mean, this is you said. Uh, in terms of communicating with an audience, I think it was like we're not going to tell you. I think it was something like, we're not going to tell you it's four. We're going to tell you it's two plus two yes. and let you work on f- getting to four. Yeah. Some it, version yeah of that. It, I mean, it's something that I think all storytellers kind of innately understand. And I never really had to break it down until I was writing with a partner, which my first writing partner was uh, officially was Bob Peterson on Nemo. And he and I uh, came up with, uh, we kept calling it the unifying theory of two plus two, you know, and, and uh, it, it really is that there's a deeper satisfaction and investment that your audience makes when they put it together versus you putting it together for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's really what it is. And, and But you can use it in how you speak. Like it, it doesn't apply to just uh, plot. Right. It can apply to how you, uh, how you just dole out any kind of information, whether it comes out through dialogue or comes out through music, like just the, the giving and the absence of things is, right. is, 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 is it really is the molecules of how you tell something. So John Carter. Yeah. The, I mean, first off, and what I had said to you in the email that I don't know if I totally appreciated when first watching it was the layers and layers of ambition Mm. involved. Like it is, uh, it's gotta be in like the top bracket of setting out to, make a film and it's starts which i want to get into with just i think how you went about telling the story just on paper like Mm -hmm. having it not revealing exactly the antagonist until two-thirds of the way through things that are kind of like mind-blowing in my mind but starting with um and then the the really it being a a hybrid film way ahead of its time the Mm -hmm. the cgi animation live action um but just getting an understanding of uh the timeline you said uh, so the live action was one year in planning is that correct yeah and that was predominantly um 08 into 09 here in berkeley and so you're planning it for a year in berkeley and is that the script is not is being worked on at that point um we started working on the script uh i think as early as late 06 um trying to make a deadline for ourselves. Um, I knew that I was barely going to survive. Um, well, what's the way to put this? It's hard enough to be able to make all these micro decisions that could tilt your film one way or another on any movie. And I thought if I could avoid having to find out that my script wasn't working and rewriting it, uh, while I'm shooting, that would be really nice. Mm-hmm. And everybody, and so um, the first thing I did was I co-wrote because that you can you get objectivity faster that way. And then when I was lucked out and I added Michael Shabon, didn't think I could find that person. Uh, suddenly we had this trifecta. So in a weird way, it was it was Mark Andrews and I teeing up for a year rewriting that script from scratch, uh, based on the book, of course, and then having this uh, sort of top-notch writer come in on and 
take our work to another level. Right. Pulitzer Prize winner, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, but we turned out to be very comfortable. It wasn't that we didn't talk. We were all here in the North Bay, so we were able to meet and talk and really keep some momentum going. So we managed to get almost um, five or six drafts of it done before we sh- we were... Sh- My goal was to... What you know to make a shooting script that I would actually stick to mm-hmm. because there was just too much writing on it, too much, too many effects, right. all these other things. I didn't want to have any money wasted, and um, and so we we lucked out. I'd say there was the 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 rewrites were minimal. Like there would be like making a scene play a little bit stronger, things like that when we were shooting. So it really could have been so much more painful. Um. And I kind of was reminded of that recently watching the, I watched some of the behind the scenes just to sort of bring my memory back for you. And oh, that's nice of you. And I, <laughs> I was appreciate sort of, that. and I was like, wow, like this is to me, I mean, it all, it's all running so smoothly and it just shows you how hard it is to make a movie because it was running that smoothly and it was accurately following this script. Like you, in a perfect world you want, like right. it's, it's following the script and we, we pretty much were getting away with that. So it just shows how, back to your point, how ambitious it really was because we couldn't have afforded to have that distraction as well on top of this this look we were trying to go for. Yeah. yeah. And so and I, this is maybe the more mundane part of it all, but so it's a year of that process. Mm-hmm. Then you go to London for two and a half months. That yeah, basically we did all the look and prep of what the sets would look like, what the what the visual effect, just the overall look of what the film's going to be, is done was done here for about a year and a half mm-hmm. in in uh, in uh, rented spaces, and then you kind of commit once you get the money, you kind of commit to well, how much time do you need to build the sets and mm-hmm. where are you going to shoot and all that stuff, and so I remember that the middle of of uh, the back half of '09 was really spent. A combination of um, building sets uh, in London and location scouting uh, all over both Utah and London, or outside of London, to um, to have a map of where we were going to shoot. And uh, so it was it was a very busy time. Hey, it's Jenks interrupting here briefly for some context. You're going to hear us talk about Tharks. Tharks were uh, these green, very tall. Um, warriors in the film uh and they clearly were made using cgi in terms of it being a hybrid film so you have uh you have cgi yeah you have i I guess first maybe if you could try and describe the difference between cgi and animation in in as it as it pertains to how it works in your film are Tharks, and the, I, I mean, I, I think I know the answer, but um, for listeners, the Tharks are animation or CGI or both? Oh, um, um, at the end of the day, they're CGI. They, at the end of the day, they're computer, CGI stands for computer graphic images. They are, they are just a computer graphic image magic trick. But to make them come across like they really exist in our world and standing right next to you, um, the smartest way we we figured to do it, which is pretty much now commonly adopted, was to have somebody actually, an actor, play the performance, a real live actor on set in the position, standing on the spot where that character would be. 
and um because you there's just a, too much unconscious uh reactions that the other actor gives so if you so for taylor kitsch who was the live action guy on set that you're always going to see uh, he, he actually is going to give a very different response, whether he knows it or not, just just to, um, being on autopilot, mm. talking to a real person than he is talking to a tennis ball on a string or a cutout or nothing. And you're looking for the most real performances that you can get. So just that alone justifies, and Peter Jackson kind of started that habit. Mm. He did that with um, Andy Serkis as King Kong. Right. And he would put him in, you know, and Andy Serkis is not the size of King Kong, but he would put him wherever the eyes were on a lift where King Kong, and so that uh, Naomi Watts would have a very, very, very different response. And I, I totally understood that. That made so much sense to me. And we thought maybe we could take this a little farther, maybe because these are characters that are ran, range from eight to 10 feet tall. Can we put them on stilts and or platforms and make them actually uh, move around in the space uh, and get that much more accurate about what it's like for everybody else in the environment mm -hmm. to see them and work with them? And the gravy or the bonus would be that they'll be in these suits and be recorded so that we have data as reference material for the uh, CGI animators. The real truth is, is that a very, very good CGI animator can work from scratch and give you uh, something that you would uh, not, you'd be amazed that you think is real. It's no different than people have very varying degrees of drawing skills. You know, some people can draw and then some people can draw so well, it's right. like Da Vinci. Right. And it's no different with any other creative task. Like there's a range some people can really throw the ball 96 miles an hour. Some people can only throw it 50, but they can still throw the ball better than me. You know? right. It's a range. And um, so you start to cast your animators in the heart. You know, So the, the better they are, the more that you give them the harder shots and the harder characters that they are because hopefully they can master it. And so... Um, the, uh, so ultimately... Um, I want to say it's it's what you're seeing is the product of an animator, but they would have never been able to give you the result that you're seeing if they didn't have the data and the reference material to be inspired by by these Oscar caliber actors right. that are that are doing a lot of these roles. But it's crazy to think. I think I forget who said it that um, that that movie that John Carter has just as much animation yeah. as your other as your average pixar film i don't know if i even knew that till i was halfway through shooting <laughs> but that's <laughs> yeah. crazy i mean it is it's a lot of work yeah yeah, yeah. and uh you kind of tell yourself that it's going to go move, move faster because of the fact that there's reference material uh people aren't working from scratch and also it's not the entire shot it's a section of the shot if you almost think of a frame the the plane of the screen like real estate real estate mm. And you're going, it's, it's not a hundred percent real estate on the screen. It's, it's, you know, uh, you know, anywhere from 15 to 30% of the screen sometimes. Right. And so that all matters, you know, and, um, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, it was an army. I mean, it was, there were, there were also more animators working on the movie than we have ever had on a Pixar movie. And that makes up the difference. It's right. just the labor. 
Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. While other brokerages charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge any commission fees, so you can trade stocks and keep all of your profits. Plus, there's no account minimum deposit needed to get started, so you can start investing at any level. The simple, intuitive design of Robinhood makes investing easy for newcomers and experts alike. View easy-to-understand charts and market data and place a trade in just four taps on your smartphone. You can also view stock collections, such as 100 Most Popular. With Robinhood, you can learn how to invest in the market as you build your portfolio. Discover new stocks, track your favorite companies, and get custom notifications for price movements so you never miss the right moment to invest. Robinhood is giving listeners of what really happened a free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint to help you build your portfolio. Sign up at really.robinhood.com. That's really.robinhood.com. So in addition to the ambition of uh, just the techniques and the and the animation and 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 live action then there are uh the story itself most i think most would say there's there the way that you approach the story is like a lot of people would be very scared of trying to pull off and so the example that i I Mm. mentioned earlier uh like when i was watching the movie the first time i watched it and um the uh thern is ex- is explaining you know what's going on in the whole world and i'm like holy shit this this guy's not telling us didn't tell us who because i was waiting for it I'm yeah like, when is when are we gonna understand the antagonist? you know yeah and and then it happens there yeah that was a pretty that was that was daring yeah did you when you wrote the script were you aware of how daring that was did it feel right did you go through many drafts and then go to that point i mean you can Critique it, critique it f- negative or positive, but this thing was planned from day one, concept to writing the script to on as a trilogy. So I never looked at the movie uh, as a 100% freestanding standalone movie. I, I, I treated it like you would episodes of TV. Think of Game of Thrones or something. Okay. I, 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 I thought of it as, can I make part one of the three-part film um stand up to have a strong enough beginning and and middle and end that i feel satisfied like i do a great chapter of a book yeah but leave just enough started or you know uh, or teased to go where is the in the greater scheme of this is it going so uh yes it was very intentional that uh his character the antagonist was matt tai shang played by mark strong was to make him mysterious for as long as possible so that just when you're starting to realize, oh my gosh, he's up to something where the stakes are much higher than we expected, um, we're robbed of being able to do anything about it so that you'll have to deal with him in part two. And then the ultimate conflict between Carter and him will be in part three. So every single, that's all I see when I watch the movie and frankly, anybody that worked on it behind the camera and in front, they all signed up for the three-parter. And um, 
And so we all loved our experience working on it. It was really hard, but it was super enjoyable. And every single dollar went to the screen. Every And there's honestly, if I could go back, I think just my own experience, I'd like to do things a little bit quicker and easier, but or smarter, but I, but I would still be making that exact movie. I think what, what we all feel at the time is, is regret that we can't continue the story we started, that we can't finish it. Um, that's all I ever see when I'm up there. It's just this, oh, if, if, if only people knew where we were, you know, where we were about to go with this relationship or this world or that's, you know, um, and there, I remember there were some critiques about things that were in the book that were not addressed. And I said, well, it's because we were doling it out and we were going to save some introductions of things mm-hmm. for film two and film three, like air factories and banths and things like that. Um, they were all coming. They just had a much stronger, we mapped it out to be, have a much stronger, uh, path, you know? So during the process of writing it, you, you essentially by not including certain things are even by not including certain things are writing the next two movies. Yeah. We, we, we knew to be malleable because we just had to solve it. Like we all knew like the first one just has to work and yeah. you want it, you want anything you do. I, I had enough experience, you know, people forget that the third movie I ever worked on was a sequel, <laughs> uh, which was toy story two. So it's like, we all got like, these things have to hold as if you've not, you've never seen the first one or never going to like, they have to just stand alone. Yeah. And so, and it's all, you just make a stronger story anyway, but it was exciting for me. And I think a lot of the brain drain that happened over the last 15 years of Hollywood going to TV is you're seeing it now. Like it's exciting for writers to change the format and not have to do it all in a solid three act structure. Like there's a certain amount of three act structure that you have, but to be able to just go, no, we're going to keep exploring this character longer. Mm. Um, it's that's something you don't get to have when you're making standalone films. And so, um, doing this, uh, doing this was, uh, I, I forget what you asked. I'm sorry. I just got lost. My train of thought. No, I mean, I think, well, it does uh, regardless of what I asked, I, th- I think, <laughs> I mean, I had been asking about, um, inserting your antagonist or, and really the yeah, intentions yeah, two thirds of the way through. But I think what you're clearly, what, what you're showing at least is just, how much you cared about this project, like how much yeah. this clearly, uh, I don't know how you got there, but it's just something that you really care about. Yeah. Like the, and the it idea was, of people it watching was, it and not knowing. These books were my Harry Potter. Right. They weren't popular to the rest of the world. I was, an, I was, I was definitely to this day. I think anybody that reads those books is a minority. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, if I have any takeaway lesson that I learned is that I made the mistake, and I think a lot of us made the mistake, of, of thinking the audience out there for this was larger. And, um, and I think had we been more uh, in understanding of who our audience was um, size-wise, either it would have never been made or it would have been made uh, cheaper, you know. Um, but we, you know, we just thought, well, you know, it should be done right. <laughs> and they're not saying no to the figure that we're saying it would, it would take to make it. Because I wanted to basically see the Tatooine section of Star Wars uh, for an entire movie, which is how I, I pictured John Carter. And so 
they said yes to that. And so we were going to deliver on that. And, uh, in the hopes that we, that, um, it would, uh, continue on because, because it wouldn't stay in that format. Anybody that knew the books, you go to a lot of different places all over this planet. And there was this desire to slowly map, map Mars. And, um, and so you, the thing that really got us, I think it's funny, this is kind of coming back to around to the beginning of writing it. The thing that really kind of opened the door for us was like, what if, what is, what, how could you make it feel like it was for somebody, uh, in the, in, uh, the, before the, a lot of the continents were discovered to fantasize about what's, what's on the other side of that ocean. Right. And you realize there's a large part of history longer than we've ever been around in the modern day that, that didn't know what the other part of the world was. And, and it makes sense that once the whole world was mapped and we got telescopes, we, that fascination and curiosity just kept going yeah. and now goes out to space. And so it was exciting to go, uh, with a sort of different angle of sci-fi. It's not like worlds with a, with an S it was a, another world. And can we just start with one small place? We'll know that much about it, but there's, but we will have probably only discovered half a continent's worth of the planet. And then we can just keep going and yeah. keep discovering the rest of it by over the course of three films. And to me, that was, that was exciting. That was a, that was a way to make it feel, uh, historical even though it was fiction a way to make it feel a period film without it really existing was was having this sort of new world uh columbus kind of attitude about it yeah. you know especially from a creative i mean you I, you say at some point um a world that is already make-believe has something magical happening to it um or, or you know what you said is which a period film of a period I don't know anything about. Yes, um, I said that, that ad nauseum. <laughs> that I thought was a you know just, just such want an a, interesting way. Of I would always it. say I just want a period film of a yeah. period I don't know about. Yeah, yeah. but so, I'm like that's like I don't know about you, but like I don't have any problem turning on the TV, flipping and catching like ten minutes in on National Geographic or Discovery Channel and knowing nothing. Right, and trusting that I'm just going to slowly learn. So there's this weird baggage that comes with when you're pitching a film and when you're telling other people that have the money, like, you know, <laughs> well, how much do we, you know, they suddenly, when they're, they're posed the question or the suggestion of what they're going to do, they, there's a lot of this assumption they need to know stuff ahead of time. And I'm like, it's really, it's really just how well something's told. Mm. Most great stories don't need any, you know, syllabus or, 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 or pre, pre, pre-knowledge, right. you know? And, um. So I was convinced there was a way, I mean, to me, that's, I, that's part of the sixth grader. Uh, like, like I understood from a sixth grade level that part of my love of these books was knowing nothing about them, hmm. discovering them in somebody else's bookshelf, not knowing what they were. And with each page learning something more. Hmm. So expectation was taken out of it. Yeah. And that was part of the attraction for me on this was, could I make you feel like what it felt like for me to just fall into this? When you were uh, watching the, the behind the scenes before uh, doing this interview, what, what were some of the things that you took away from it or that you thought about? Um, 
I just missed everybody. It was funny. Like I just, I, I, I remember, um, how hard every day was, but how happy I was. Like there were times where I was in a hundred and ten degree heat yeah. with no uh, relief coming, and I was in below twenty degrees one or two days. Uh, there was just you know, there's you get to day thirty and you're like, I don't know if I have it any more in me, and yet there's you know sixty plus more days to go. And but I never remember being unhappy. I just remember being. Uh, excited and challenged and thinking all my heroes did this so I can do it too. Not like do their quality, but I could, uh, I sure. could, if, if they lasted this long, maybe I could, you know, this, it's clearly humanly possible. Right. And just being, pinching myself that I was making uh, a movie um, in the traditional sense. And, um, and, but it, I don't know. That's what I remember the most when I watched it was just like, wow, I miss that specific group. I, in the, I'm getting back to the same point of that we had always planned three pictures. We all, all I see when I watch some of that behind the scenes footage of us just being sort of caught in the day of the life is that we all think we're going to see each other for right. uh, six more years. Right. Like that's crazy. And, I mean, that's and, crazy. It, and it, uh, it's so it's, it, that's the sad part for me. It's like, wow, like we really, didn't prepare ourselves to not see each other again. Um, that's, I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, at least I, I didn't. I, <laughs> well, no, I mean, what, what, uh, and is that, does that include not to, is that does, contractually even did that say that with, a lot oh, of yeah, these yeah, actors, all the I Marvel assume? movies are the same. Like they, these guys signed yeah, their life yeah, away. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, speaking of that, I mean, you make a point, which I think says a lot about you in terms of, uh, crediting all of the different people uh on the film yeah i was thinking maybe i'll list a few names and if you want to add as well but you can say what they did if, if you can <laughs> sure. if you can remember someone that clearly is incredibly fond of you is is taylor kitsch who's who's the star of, of the film obviously um and i mean you, you've talked at, at great length about you know, this is, he, he's the hardest guy working on set. He was there in the first guy, one of the first guy there, last guy to leave type of thing. Um, something like 80% of his own stunts. Mm -hmm. um, the fact that he's not just doing, you know, a few takes to get it right. Like in a normal movie, he's doing a few and then has to do it again yeah. to, to tee up with, 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 with the animation. Um, uh, you also, that's right, talked a lot about his uh, muscle memory, which I thought was yeah. super interesting. It shows the, he he was going to be a pro hockey player. And then, of course, he had physical injuries that prevented that. But that that natural athleticism uh, proved itself in many ways I didn't see coming. Working with athletes, I always say, are the best. Because they're, you're just like, can you do, they want it, they want you to direct them yeah. in, a, in yeah. a weird way. And they, they're, and like down to the millimeter, they can recreate something. It's insane. Right. Yeah, no, it's funny. I, I picked up on that and I always thought that. Um, so uh, maybe if you could just uh, talk to that a little bit, what it, what it was like, what it was like, uh, what he was like on set and, and working on this. Well, you know, Taylor um, was uh, super popular at the time with Friday Night Lights. Everybody just saw him for the character Riggins that he played. And and um, guys, guys wanted to, I, I want to be his best friend. <laughs> Chicks want to date him. Yep. And, um, but there was a, uh, there was a, uh, 
you could you could just tell through the screen, and certainly it was enhanced when you met him in real life, that there was a sensitive guy under all that, that he, he could be tough and he could be um, uh, impish, um, but that he really was a, had a selfless core. And um, that was, that's just the kind of thing that just people just bring to the table or they don't, you know, and, and it's when you're, when the camera's trying to just be on somebody. And so what I lucked out meeting him was that he also kind of downplays how smart he is. Huh. And um, I think it's, it's probably, I guess it's probably just a learned behavior to just be one of the guys kind of thing that a lot of us had, you know, done growing up. But Or Canadian. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he... Um, so he downplays how his intelligence. And I mean, and I mean that like, just like how well he understood story, how well he understood a character's arc and how well he understood, um, the nuance of a scene. And, and so we could, we could really get into it and talk stuff. I mean, um, so it was a, it was a real bonus and he's, and the, to top all of that off because he's an athlete, um, he's just has just a super extreme work ethic. Like he gets the hours of practice needed right. to win the game. And um, that just, one, he was required for that role. I mean, he's just got to do so much physical work and he's in literally every shot except for maybe 10 or 12 shots. And so that's a hundred plus days that he's going to just constantly be in camera from morning till night. Yeah. And he got sick a couple of times. It was really hard to work around that. I mean, we was we, we could it could have been so much worse. And um, and that also sets an example. Like if he's working that hard, then why why we should all be working that hard, you know, you know, or be willing to, I guess. Um, he said uh, afterwards, uh, in terms of the film not not taking off the way that uh, you guys had hoped. I definitely, he said, I definitely mourned. I had my moment with it. I talked to Stanton forever about it. Um, what was what 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 were the things that you guys would talk about, and how how did you did you say you mourned over it? Well, I tried to make sure that I think my biggest concern when it didn't go well was making everybody was was kind of apologizing to everybody, apologizing to the cast and the crew. Like I just like I really felt bad that. Uh, that they had to experience such a loss and, you know, and, um, I hated that they had to have something that they might have to be embarrassed about on their resume. Um, cause I just, none of us saw that coming on us. Uh, and none of us still feel that way when we, on our personal memories of it, but it's really hard when the megaphone's that loud for that long and you start getting lumped in. And, you, and then you start to see that it's just never going to leave the history books without that sort of scarlet letter on it. And I just felt awful that that, you know, these people, you know, whenever you're making a film, you know, you're, you're basically asking a hundred to 200 people to trust you that there's land on, and, and just keep rowing and you don't want to let them down. So I, that's all I really remember most conversations being about was me just making sure they understood that they did nothing to contribute to the negative response and that they did exactly what, if not greater than what I had ever hoped and asked of them and that I wouldn't have changed a thing. 
And I didn't have to lie. It made it very easy to talk like that. I just felt in a parental way, very responsible and very bad that they had to suffer anything for all their hard work. Yeah. So does it, I mean, it must make you, I mean, it must have been quite sad. Yeah. Yeah. It still is. Yeah. It still is. And, and, and um, not so much that I walk around worrying about the whatever the, you know, it's funny thing is like I'm way past the hurt. Uh, I can't even remember it, frankly, now. And I've had so many people come up to me, and I mean all the time, yeah, but that say, say okay. I really like this yeah. film. <laughs> And I always have to say, you don't have to whisper. Nobody. Really <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody instinctively whispers. Oh, that's amazing. And, no, and, uh, and I, um, jeez. <laughs> and, uh, but what I, what I realized over time is it's not that everybody didn't like it. It's that nobody saw it. Right. That's very different. Huh. It's very different. Yeah, that is. And, um, I don't expect everybody to like it. Fine. Sure. But, and I never did. I don't expect that with anything I do. But, um, that just gives me hope. Like, 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 like I get, now I'm at a place where like, I don't care what you say. You can't take it away. Like in this, the, the film's not going away. It, it, somebody can always watch it. Like yeah. that book has been written and it's on the shelf. Right. And so I feel very happy that it can keep getting discovered. And cause honestly, that's all I've, you can naively so or whatever. I, I made it the same way I've made anything else that I've been uh, privileged to be a part of. I made it for the grandkids, not for the kids. I made it for the people that are going to hopefully find this in the same way I found old movies that were made long before even my parents were born. Yeah. And I suddenly think they're the best movie in the world and I want to keep watching it. I'm making it for that. That's, that's my end goal. And that's sort of what helps us. I learned that early on with Toy Story. Like we said, we just knew this will be the ugly. We knew CG better than anybody. We were part of this small group of people that had freaking invented it. And so we just knew already before anybody else did it, like technology is going to advance so fast that in less than a decade after Toy Story comes out, it will be the ugliest thing we ever make. Yeah. It is guaranteed. We have no control over that. Right. So let's not invest in how good this looks. Let's, well, certainly will, but we're not going to, if, if given a choice, it's going to all be about story, story, story. And we said, what films do we still watch that we can totally see the paper mache, the tape, and we don't care. We still watch them. Right. And that's like Wizard of Oz, Snow White, even Star Wars at this point. Mm -hmm. And we go, well, that's the club we want to be in. And so ever since then, I've just been in like, will this hold? Can I make something that that could still be attracted to somebody that doesn't know any hype, doesn't have any publicity? doesn't have any history to it and is just discovered. Yeah. And that's really the the thing that um that drove this one. It was the same place. And so I I get a lot of satisfaction now, now that time has passed. Yeah. Th that I am now starting to see that happen. I'm right. starting to see people discover it that don't know the history. Right. And um and that's only going to be more the case, right, with each passing year. And so in that sense, I feel like, oh, great. Like we got through it. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, it's like, I just will always feel sad that it, you, that you only got chapter one of three. Yeah. Uh, well, but, well, obviously time makes a difference, but what, I mean, it's, it, you sound, when you talk about, you know, calling people and having to apologize mm -hmm. What was that like? Uh, like, how how sad 
did you get as someone <laughs> who had who had experienced? You know, I, I wasn't sure if you. I didn't know if you. Or I didn't really think about it, but whether or not you'd really say that per se. Like I got so you had you had such incredible achievements. Yeah, and now you have a movie that's being called a variety of things yes. and being put in a certain bracket. Um, how dark of a place do you go? Uh, I think I went. I think I went darker than I allowed myself to realize at the time. I think I, you know, you just tried to breathe, you know. Um, but you, uh, for better or for worse, um, I knew I shouldn't let it take me down. I didn't. I hated the idea that. I hated the idea that what the rest of the world thought mattered that much to me. But uh, it did. It did. Yeah. And I, and, but you just hate that it does. It's, right. you know, you're back in high school. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, um, you know what it really did is, and I'm, this is the honest truth. I, I, I said, if I can't handle reading bad reviews, then I shouldn't be reading good reviews. And I've never read anything ever since. Oh, come on. No, I mean it. People I, say that. It's no, I, no, to... no, I mean it. I really, yeah. like, I did not even know how, I did not know Dory had broken the world record until I saw a headline about Incredibles the other day. Wow. I, I, I've never read a review. I just, I just, I But lit- after Carter, you just, you made that decision during yeah, Carter. Yeah, no, after Carter, right. I made that decision. Right. And I've never regretted it because I realized part of my, pain or my sadness was it hurt what other people thought and what other people were saying and i'm like well then i don't have to i don't it's a choice to be in the virtual public square right and so i said well until i think i'm up for that then i don't then why do that you know although andrew in fairness to you i meant really you calling people that you worked with not so much even the reviews but oh sure sure i I just i just digressed but but um yeah, I mean, it, I tried very hard on those phone calls. I don't remember them that well, or or those email exchanges, or whatever they were, yeah. to not make it about me, other than just trying to make sure they weren't making it about them. You know that they weren't taking on any of the the burden. You know. So, so what did happen in terms of where where did it? It you it's, it's I knew you were going to be disappointed when you got to this because uh, I. I don't know. I don't think there's. I it's, it's. I'm sort of ignorant of many things that were going on behind the scenes. I don't know. I don't know. There we, we had a new regime at, at at Disney. We had a new marketing group that changed hands at least once during the entire run. Um, I was actually proposed to change the title, and I. And I uh, agreed to it because I, I, they had data to show how much you know these test markets were saying that they wouldn't want to see something with Mars on it. It was John Carter of Mars, which you end up not—it's not the title, although you do see yeah. it at the very end there. And you know, I'm just trying to make sure that this thing has the best shot. And so, I don't have uh, this conspiracy theory about it. I, Maybe there is. I don't know, but I really don't. I don't. I haven't. I, I've not spent. It just doesn't seem healthy. It just doesn't seem. I'll never know if there was anything of that sort. But I. What do you mean conspiracy theory? Well, just people thinking that there, there people had it out in the from either other studios or within the studio, or or whether there was, uh, just good old fashioned war games, Schadenfreude that happens every weekend between studios and movies. You mm-hmm. know. I, 
it could be all of the above, you know. Um, there's so many movies that don't succeed and just don't get that kind of attention. So I can't, it did seem a little extreme that this was getting such attention for not doing well. Um, but it, you know, it's, I can't be objective at the time, you know, uh, you weren't, you just didn't see it coming. And, um, I don't know. I mean, it's, 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 a. I do wonder if there was a certain amount of overamped Schadenfreude simply because Picture had had such a winning streak, mm. and I definitely had some association with the brand, well, of course, you know. Yeah. You know and so, uh, at least insiders that had a lot of voice on online could run with that. Um, I think there was some joy in in in, in that winning streak. But we tried really hard not to be associated with that streak, you know, because it was not. It was a. It was had nothing to do with Pixar. Mm. Um, so I don't know. It's 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 a. Uh, I really, as you can tell, have not really spent much time trying to go there. <laughs> yeah, I you wasn't. Know? I wasn't necessarily uh, expecting expecting that. Um, uh, the the nicest thing that I remember really well was. Uh, how supportive Bob Iger was, and uh, and Alan Bergman were they? They're the Disney execs, and they and he sent me this. Iger sent me this great quote of Teddy Roosevelt that I'm going to totally mess up because I don't have it on the tip of my tongue. I'll, I'll about, fix it for about you. Fighting in the ring. I looked up that Teddy Roosevelt quote that Bob Iger sent to Andrew Stanton. It's a bit long, but worth it. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Uh, and nobody really understands what it takes unless they've fought in the ring themselves. Right. And he, and it was the best thing I could have ever been sent. Like he just got, he's like, like you're in this small club of people that knows how hard it is to make a movie, yeah. let alone this movie. And the people that have fought in the ring and actually done it themselves, uh, don't see it the way everybody else is talking. And, and, and I've, and I've, and I have, but I was already like this after maybe two days of shooting. <laughs> I was just like, I'm amazed a movie gets made. <laughs> so, so I'm always impressed with any movie. <laughs> so, I, whenever someone I mean? criticizes a movie, they say, what do you think? I go, I think it's a miracle that it got made. I know. Like, I, it's incredible when a movie even gets made. And I get a little pissy here at work when I, when people, because we can change everything and we can, make, we have the luxury of making things almost perfect if we, if, if we can get that far. Mm -hmm. um, I, I bristle if anybody starts to critique something as if it was obvious what the the other 
group should do. And I go, look at nobody sets out to make a bad movie. Right. <laughs> I mean, nobody right. is given that kind of time and opportunity right. and not just trying to make a home run. Like right. everybody, everybody out there is. Right. And there's nobody phoning it in. So I can, it's almost a reflection of them when I f- see w- how they're critiquing it. Because mm. I get something, you know, part of critiquing is to just learn and be better from it. And not only as the m- filmmaker or the creator yourself, but also as the viewer or the audience, we all learn from it. And there's a really healthy way to do that. And so I've gotten very strict about how I will not only critique something, but how I'll listen to somebody else critique something, whether I'll put up with it or not. Which thing I want to talk about, at least in the podcast, is the narrative a movie takes on before yeah. it's even almost released. Yeah, I mean, and I, like I'm you sure were talking, that's real. You were talking about the reshoots. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting in my research that um, people were like, oh, he's doing all these reshoots, there's a problem. And then I, re- then I read that, well, no, you knew that you were relatively new to live action, and so you thought it'd be smart to yes. have those in place. So really they were just, it was just a classic example of people misconstruing yes, like, exactly. a, a smart move. Exactly. No, um, it was always mapped out. The money was always put aside for it. It wasn't right. an overage. Right. No, it was a director because I always <laughs> like smart directors know what they know and know what they don't know. Yeah. And so it was just a smart move. And then it ends up taking on this whole nother narrative of like, well, this movie's probably not going to be good. Yeah. And sadly, it just shows what people don't know. And because like if they understood how we really make movies of Pixar, we have four to six reshoots built in on every one of our films. We're putting up that film every six months and then tearing it down and then learning from it and then reshooting it again, basically. Not literally, but like we have the ability to like redraw our shots before we're going to actually animate them and make them. And so we have a rough draft of this play that we're putting on again and again and again until we have it so refined because we know we won't get it right. Um, so that when we finally spend the money on the last year, which is when we actually do the shooting, it's reversed. We don't shoot until the last year. We're shooting something that will have nothing on the cutting room floor, but we've left about four features worth of raw material, rough material on the cutting room floor just to get to that. And we don't, and people wonder why our movies work so well. So I'm like, and you're suddenly asking me to make a movie with no reshoots. Like, like that's not, not only is that not smart filmmaking, I think for anybody, but for somebody that's only been trained to have the ability to do many times at bat right. to get it right. I said, I got to build in at least one. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that was literally my conversation right. for how we budgeted it. Right. You know, so um, I said literally too many times on the show. Well, you know, uh, literally now no longer means has changed. Yeah. I know. Yeah. So you're okay. Uh, you're I'm just. I'm from my old school. You're I'm, doing I'm, just fine. My I English think, teacher would hate me. So there's in terms of a lot of people in in these in articles that are out there. The Atlantic Monthly seems to be pretty devoted to sorting out John Carter. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. They they've they did. Who's like, their editor? Uh, Atlantic Monthlies. I have, I have no <laughs> idea. And then I'll and I won't. I'll, I'll move on the marketing campaign. You know, I I have a lot of sympathy when it comes to the marketing. And look at I don't don't necessarily disagree that it got that it missed the mark. But man, did I all I saw was this group just trying so hard to figure it out and sharing that struggle with me, trying to get my input um, throughout it. I think that there were times that I even was necessarily not contributive in a good way. I think I was sometimes at my wits end or working hard on the film and then being a little pissy back. Um, But overall, I just remember 
that doesn't feel right. Let's try it again. That doesn't feel right. Let's try it again. And we like that on all our films because this is, you know, I come from the studio that <laughs> has a post-apocalyptic trash compacting robot that falls in love and a septuagenarian that goes over the Korean Boy Scout to a, to Patui, yeah, a You're being, a, you're to, being very you know, humble. You're, you're the writer and but director. I, of, uh, but, but I'm saying like, we have weird ideas. Oh, okay. We have weird ideas. We, you know, like, you right. know, that are not one line pitches, right. you know? And so you, thank God we have a brand that you trust us and you'll come in and you'll see this really weird idea and then it like pays off. Yeah. But for a marketer, I, I get it. It's for publicity. It's tough. Mm-hmm. How do you how do you convey this really weird thing that? And I remember saying to them early on, I'm like, well, we you know we, we're not making it easy for you. I get it. We never and we probably never will. And so I got that Carter was a tough one. Um, and it's easy in hindsight. It's always easy in hindsight to see how we should have sold it. Uh, on all our films, let alone the Carter issue. So in hindsight, what would it be? Well, I don't know if it was succinctly figured out, but one of the consensus seems to be if if somehow you could have conveyed the the context of it, the the history of how it was the progenitor of so much. Mm. Um, Oh, I see from, you know, what what kind of inspired avatar. Yeah. yeah. There's some, there's, there's some, there's some way in, for contextualizing mm-hmm. it historically that possibly could have grabbed more people that would have wanted to see a movie like this. That makes sense now when you say it, but right. at the time, all you thought about was, oh, that's just wordy and confusing or yeah. sounds like you're making excuses. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 it's hard. It's uh, p- publicity is just, marketing is tough in general. And, and um, you can... <laughs> And they, everybody always is happier when you're making a sequel because they, they've already kind of solved it. And now they just have to like make it a little bit more fresh, not to say it's easy, but, but, uh, the originals have always been a chore. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I just can't get on the, I can't get on the beat up marketing bandwagon. Yeah. I can't. Um, how did the movie test? It tested pretty well. I mean, it didn't test through the roof, but it didn't pet, it didn't test in any way that worried us. Yeah. It, and we tested it kind of, what we did is though, which I think was maybe, I hope I'm remembering this right. I may, I hope I'm not changing history, yeah. but I, we tested it before we did reshoots so that we could take advantage of it because we had some new ideas. In, I think you're right. I assembly. read that in an interview. So. And, uh, so we were a little forgiving that the numbers were low on the high side because we knew we were showing them such rough material that yeah. was a little hard to understand and looked, you know, I think some of the behind the scenes shows like how these little drawings were that Mark did were sliding around on top of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and it got laughs and we, we, you know, we do these, we seem to do the same thing for animated movies when they're works in progress. We, we show a little making of two minute piece at the front that explains what they're going to be looking at and how weird it's going to look oh, interesting. sort of demystify how silly it's going to get. And people start laughing. They laugh at the first shots or a couple of shots where suddenly you can see the, how the sausage is made. And then suddenly they stop and they get right into it. And that's, that's the testament more to like, is your story just good enough that people are just like, they don't care that they can see the hand inside the puppet, you know? Right, right. And, um, <laughs> and that's, and so, um, that's what I remember. 
is, is that we weren't worried. We were more like, oh, okay, this confirms. And it was more of a few moment, like, oh, we can totally take advantage of these two other ideas we have or, uh, and, 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 and tweak them at the reshoots. Yeah. How hard was it to, uh, adapt it, adapt from book form? I mean, seer, like book yeah. form to, uh, a script in terms of keeping certain things, not keeping others. I mean, one thing that I was, I've, I really like about the film that I think other films get sometimes lost in is the, um, the fight scenes are, you almost want more, which mm. I mean that in the best way uh, it, you don't get, you, you didn't seem to get lost in all of the awesome special effects and all the different things you yeah. can do. And then I was reading the book and I guess I did it weird you know i watched it and then read the book and i was like oh, wow there's like a fight scene in every chapter almost <laughs> yep. i was yep. like that's doubly impressive yeah um how is there i guess there's not a formula but how do you go about doing that it was well i think in a one the luxury that we had is that the book's over 100 years old <laughs> and so nobody expects you to follow that to the letter of the law very few very you don't have the harry oh. potter fans yeah, so you Damon, feel like right. you have you feel like you have license to just go wherever the heck you need to huh. so that was freeing and the other was it's not written very well <laughs> i mean it, it it's almost it's more that he seemed to have tapped into burroughs tapped into sort of primal things that 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 a young boy wanted to ex- experience an adventure right and he did almost, he succeeded so much for just doing that. And it, and it's very much an explorer adventure. People think about the fights and the damsel in distress, but the, if we really, the books are more about what I was talking about earlier, about constantly exploring and conquering new lands and like, and, and coming and discovering more, more uh, cultures and more places and races. And, and, and that adventure, that side of adventure was really what kept going on through all the books. And that's the the thing that uh, I felt like, okay, that's that's what I want to glom onto. Uh, sure, there's going to be fights and sure there's going to be rescues and sure there's going to be harrowing moments and scary moments, but all in service to whatever we want the relationship. But the thing that the, none of the books had, just like a lot of early comic books didn't have, was there's no depth of character at all. There's right. no character growth. It's just right. like, can you be the same characters and then just be in another pickle? And then how do we get out of this one? So it was, it right. was truly serial f- films, like, like, like the original films that uh, Raiders was based on. Yep. They're just get into a problem and then don't know how you're going to get out of it and solve it. And that's so surface. And it's fine for a, for a, eight-year-old, 10-year-old boy. Like, they don't need right, more than right, that. Right, right. But, so we knew we had to basically come up with stuff that just didn't exist. Right. It was, so there was, a, it was way more of, of a, uh, of an original in that sense. It's like, we, we, we had our boundaries and we had our names and we had situations that we'd like to sort of use, but we could slide them or replace them to, as needed to better, serve. but like, what are we saying and who, and who, who, who are these people and where are they going? Because we, we want them to evolve and change. Um, so once we gave ourselves the luxury of reading more of the books and, and opened ourselves up to using anything from future books, mm. it really freed us up to go, oh, what if this, per-? like, because just by, just by pure uh, effort and, 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 and amount of writing, 
Burroughs every once in a while would fall into an interesting relationship <laughs> or an interesting character, you right. know, and you go, oh, wait a minute. There's a little something there. Let's, right. let's, let's, let's mine from that and pull that in, you know. Well, did I read right that he, he wrote the book under a pseudonym at first? The first no? book, yeah. Actually, the first publication of it through a magazine he did. But then once it, it took on, he was like, oh, yeah, I wrote that. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I didn't know you could, I mean, I didn't know you can do that. Yeah. Um, but the thing I, the thing yeah. I knew was, to me, the best book that's ever been adapted to film is Silence of the Lambs. And I had the luxury uh, of reading that book right when it came out because uh, I was sort of luckily current with that author at the time. Mm. And so I loved that book and then saw the movie a couple of years later. And then, you know, it was right around the time that I was learning to write scripts. So I remember reading the script and and. And if you had asked me then, I'd like, is, was that movie exactly the book? I would have said, yes, it's exactly what it was like to read the book. And then I went back and read the book again, and it doesn't match in a lot of areas, in a lot of ways. And it was this real eye-opening thing that like, oh, you should be aiming to make me, uh, to, to replicate what it feels like to read the book, not to literally follow it by law. Mm. Um and so I always took that to heart if I ever was knew I was going to adapt something. And that's, and so I remember very consciously talking like that with uh, Shabon and Mark Andrews. And now you're working, you, you did a couple episodes of uh, Stranger Things and you were saying when you were walking in here that you're, you're seeming to, to like uh, more and more. Uh, you tell me live action or I don't want to put words yeah, in your I mouth felt, or I TV mean, or I knew I was hooked and, and I, and I was, and I was going to keep doing live action probably after the first action and cut on my first day on Carter. I, really? I, I loved it. I loved it. I loved the spontaneity. Um, I loved working with actors. I loved the immediacy of it. I loved the, the, the teamwork of it. I loved everything about it. I, I loved the limitation of it and that you had to really sort of, problem solve your way through mm. um so i knew if i ever could get a shot to keep doing it i would and um i think i felt a little obliged to uh and also a little safer to go back to to pixar and, and finish up uh i had already started development for finding dory i didn't think i was going to direct it i i thought i was going to write and produce from a you know, exec produce and so it was a nice kind of place to lick my wounds and just sort of get back into it and not not doubt myself as a as a filmmaker. And were you but, doubting yourself? Well, I just was afraid that would happen. And so I think I needed to just get right back up and 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 it was a chance to get right back up and keep filmmaking. And um, and so that that did the job. But it but it did the job about two years into a four year project. And I remember starting to feel right. like oh, wow, I'm a little ready to move on now and we still have another two years to go. So it kind of proved a, a place that I was at after Wally, which was like, I don't think I have the four-year stamina anymore. Yeah. And sure enough, I was, I, I like, after, by the time Dory was done, I was like, I, I need to do things that will take a lot shorter time. Yeah. Um, I, I was telling you before we were rolling, I was, um, I want to do four things in one year, not one thing in four years. Now. Right. And so, and, and that, you know, I'm making good on that and it's, it's, it's great. I love it. I absolutely love it, and it's and it's actually rejuvenated me for when I am at Pixar to mm -hmm. to have a lot of um, ability to to uh, uh, and reserves to just help people with their long term projects. So. Right. Um, what um, 
what would you say if I said in 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 twenty years you'll get the green light for John Carter too, and you'll be a very healthy seventy two years <laughs> I see, old? I was already going there. <laughs> yeah, you're very healthy. Everything's good. Your wife okay's it, and uh, and you get the green light. It's a little bittersweet because now that I like the rest of the world have become a a fan of episodic TV and binging like everybody else and seeing no expense spared for something like Game of Thrones, I go, ah, you know, the the Burroughs world is really meant to be done in that format. John Carter, the TV show. That's what I think. I think Are you pitched? Can you, have you I just think I that? just think there's enough stories there and enough Whoa, worlds. Whoa, there totally is. That you could, so, I think that's, I don't think it's meant to be a tentpole film. Um, I, 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 at least the way I, my mind saw it continuing on. None of us saw at the time in 2012 or 2010, you know, right. that 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 episodic TV would be sort of be the dominant form of entertainment. But it makes so much sense. It's it's closer to books. We've been reading books a lot longer than we've been watching movies. Yeah, and and there's no rule. Like, is this idea worth eight episodes, or is this idea worth three years of yeah. twelve episodes each? Like. It's it's like the book is as long as the book needs to be, and it has as many chapters as the book needs to be. And so now it's in service to what the story is. And that, as a writer and a filmmaker, is exciting. You're no longer forced to go, no matter what this idea is, it has to be in a three-act yeah. structure that's 90 minutes or a little over that. Right. Um, not everything's meant to be. And so... I certainly... You'd love podcasts. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> it's the Wild West. So I feel like, um, I feel like that world deserves to be uh rediscovered in that format that's that's my attitude about it and i don't have to do it i want to i want to but i would I, i'm back to being a fan i want i would love to see it happen. but you sh but you would do it <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i mean i i i had three years living in that world yeah. and i fell in love with the idea of that cast and that storyline finishing off and I, that can't happen anymore. And so I don't know. I, I think I would rather see somebody else kick it off right. What if What if I did a, uh, not a Kickstarter, but what's it called? A, uh, <laughs> not a change.org. I keep saying the wrong. There's something else besides Kickstarter? There's a, well, we could, you could, uh, you know, there's a, a hundred thousand signatures for John Carter, the TV show. Oh, yeah, yeah. But there, I'm not yeah. asking people to pay for it. But you show that then to Hulu and Hulu's like. There's nothing stopping somebody from running with that. I mean, it's all public domain, those books now. So they back to public domain or does the borough's estate own? How does that work? I don't know. I, yeah. I, mean, I, I assume that once something passes a hundred years, it's public domain in this country. Right. I think it's more about European rules for right. anything, but, um, thank Well, thank you. Uh, let me, I'm just going to double check that. I sure. Haven't, absolutely. Haven't any, but we've already taken up an hour and a half of your time. Oh, no, no, it's fine. I'm, uh, which I really I'm here till five. So when I said when I was watching the research, I watching, I hadn't watched all the behind the scenes stuff that we had on Carter. Uh huh. And uh, there's this one that's almost like 40 minutes long of just a day in the life of us. Yeah, I remember that. And man, was that a blast from the past. Yeah, I was like, wow. And that and it 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 was really, it was really accurate. There was no staging of that one. And what 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 about that? Explain. What do you mean? Like there was. Well, I mean, just like they really caught what we were doing. Like some a lot of these things, you know, get a little. Uh, whitewashed or simplified or mm -hmm. pre-staged so that it'll you know it's and uh this was just like nope we're just gonna have a bunch of people filming all day while you do one 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 of your typical days and yeah. uh 
and uh yeah it was a lot of work <laughs> but it was fun i mean it was you keep going back to it that was fun. which is cool you know you, you why do you think john carter took so long to there were so many different attempts at making it until you made it well you when think, you look at what like when you look at what we put into it like yeah it was a 250 million dollar picture well it always was and it's not that much more expensive than all the animated pictures that get made i mean that's how that's how much special effects is required for those ideas so when you think of it that way you're like i don't know if they could have made that movie any earlier than we did i don't think anyone realized if you you were trying to get what was pictured on screen right as opposed to making massive compromises. I don't think anyone at all ever realized the animation involved. I think when you, especially yeah. when you see, and this isn't a comment on the trailers or anything, but I don't I think, you know, you see Taylor Kitsch, it seems like it's a live action movie and maybe there's animation involved, but I don't think anyone, Yeah. I mean, but I don't, I don't think many people look at it as like an animation film. No, and I probably didn't want it to be seen that way either. I think I wanted my my goal was to make you just believe it happened, right? And so I don't think I I wouldn't be surprised if I was party to making sure we didn't go the animation route with it. I right. don't know. It's it, it, you're right. Who knows? Who knows what would have been the right way to talk about it? Right. But, You really are a storyteller at heart, huh? More than anything. I th- I think that's, that's when, when I look back and because I, I always have this saying like everybody's wired up to go to the church of something and some people it's actually church and some people it's beer, some people it's sports yeah, okay. and uh, you know, everybody's wired up to, to worship something. And I think, and I look back and I go, oh my, I, I, it's all, it's clearly the, the Venn diagram over all my life from like first memory on is, yeah, it's telling the stories. Yeah. So. Same here. That's interesting. What, what, um. What book would you recommend to, are there a couple books that you would say like if for mm. a storyteller in whatever medium? Uh, yeah, I think um, it's, it's not easily digestible, but man, once you crack through it and if you, and if I have a, with my sixth grader brain could crack through it, then I think <laughs> other people can. Um, the Art of Dramatic Writing by Lajos Igre, mm. uh, which is I-G-R-I, I think it's uh, in Lajos L-A. J-O-S. Um, it's written in the late 40s, early 50s, and it's about playwriting. But it really is just about three-act structure storytelling. And I read it every time I'm about to write. Really? Yeah, every time. I mean, it's 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 such a worn book now by me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I kind of know it by heart, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter. I just assume there's something I forgot. And uh, it really cracked my thinking open in the best way or it made me better understand what i was already doing is the way to put it yeah totally get it yeah and um and made me um it's like you know there's some sorry cut you off. yeah no but it's it's like going oh i've been fixing a car by gut sense all the time and now i really understand what the turbine does what the piston does and and uh but it's a lot to hold in my head so i have to reread it every time before i start again you didn't know there was a name for it yeah to a lot of this. What do you think of critics in general? Jay-Z says that if you don't like my lyrics, you can press fast forward. (laughs) (laughs) 
Fuck critics, um, they can kick my whole ass. They, I can whatever my whole asshole. I really believe Brad called it right at the end of Ratatouille that if I'm being really honest, before I got a chance to make films, I had one or two critics that I trusted considerably to, if they liked something or if they said something was worth my time and I wouldn't have seen it, I would go. Hmm. And to me, there's a super amount of value for that. And, um, but I'm sensitive to, uh, and I think it's fair game that they can like something and not like something, but I, but I'm sensitive to, um, being cruel. I don't, I don't see the point of it and I get the, I get the joy in it. I get the, the, the schoolhouse uh, bully or the superiority aspect of it, or even the art of, of being cruel. Like I get the writer part of that. Like right. I understand where it comes from, yeah. but I have no respect for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I almost wish that, uh, you couldn't be a critic unless you'd done 10 years of that job then I think I'd be willing to listen to the slamming. <laughs> and I think that's why you don't have outsiders being the commentators on sports events. You have people that have played this event or the, or the 1% people that seem to have from the sideline probably would have been a great coach and they never did it themselves, but they get it. And I, I wish that same standard existed for movie critics. Then I would, then I would probably have a different I fucking love that uh, uh, opinion about it. The Andrew yeah. Stan rule. <laughs> I compare everything to basketball. And I think that right there is why a lot of coaches now are former NBA players. Cause a lot of NBA players would hear this coach yelling at them and be like, who the fuck you've never played ball. Like yeah. you don't know what you're talking about. And now they have guys that have played, you know, Steve Kerr here yeah. locally. And you can't be like, well, you don't know. It's like, oh, well, he got, yeah. he, he pissed off Jordan so badly. Jordan fucking punched him. Yeah. So clearly Steve Kerr knows. And to be fair, there's probably certain handicaps and, and limitations for being somebody that's done it because I've to, to be honest, the first time I directed the worst department that I directed was story. Uh, like, cause I thought I knew it. Hmm. I thought I knew it better than everybody else, or I not knew it as well as everybody else. Mm. And I, and I was second guessing a lot of things or, or corralling things too tightly and not like, in other words, if you've always cooked a certain way, you're not going to be as open-minded to letting them cook a different way in the kitchen. You know, even though you say you will, you probably won't, especially when you're under duress and you're losing, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like when you parent, nobody tells you that like. You're going to go with the muscle memory of what how you were raised, not by the way you want to be raised, want to raise them because you don't have time. It's like it's all, everything happens in the now, like yeah. they're, and so you find yourself making mistakes and repeating mistakes um, because you didn't have time to think about it. Right, and so. Um, I still say I'd rather that you've had the experience and then maybe teach it to somebody else or, or be a commentator on it, but. But nothing comes for free. Like nothing comes without some sort of caveat, I think, to it. So, who? A uh, couple questions that I'd miss. Who was who was the target audience for the film? Uh, I don't think we ever had that discussion because you never had that. Discussion. No, because in my mind, I've never had that discussion. On anything I've worked on prior, I've always tried to just make a film I would want to see, and hope that it was entertaining and and communicated well enough that if you were really young you'd still get it and if you're really old you'd still be interested so i've always found that thinking limited now maybe that was uh, another part of the mistake not to have those discussions but it wouldn't have changed how i made the film Mm -hmm. but i think i'm such a purist and had been for 15 years that i didn't see 
the upside to talking like that. And maybe that's my naivete. Um, I read it. Is this true that you learned while in the scripting stage that you had high functioning attention deficit disorder? I learned that because my son turned out to have it and we got diagnosed for it in high school. And they said it was hereditary, typically. And that a lot of presidents and uh, director, film directors have it. Because it actually. You say that, by the way, as your right hand is playing yeah, with some sort of uh, <laughs> it's, tripod as it's, we speak. It's to their. Um, it actually is, is, a, is, a, is something that they use to their advantage. Yeah. Teddy Roosevelt being a good yeah. example. Yeah. So that that's true. You did find that out. Yeah. Visa your uh via your uh your son, not not yeah. the uh the movie. Um cool man. Well is there is there anything that I that you wanted to cover maybe that in uh, no, you were watching uh, or anything that it feels you know, it's, on- it's a weird feeling to talk about it because I never really ever have talked about it since it all went down yeah and so it's a real pleasure to talk about it honestly and objectively without bias uh on either side and just say this is this is what it was and uh and uh and uh, and the movie's still out there <laughs> you know you can watch it if you want is there is there a, a, a what's the reason that you haven't talked about it i just didn't see the point of it i didn't yeah. like i don't like being part of somebody's agenda and it just felt like there was too much an agenda attached to it for too long and it just finally feels like it's old news now Hmm. and now it feels kind of safe to go okay but i don't want to rekindle it (laughs) you know it's sort of like it is what it is you know um that's why i don't have much to give you when it comes to what happened and i uh, i can only tell my end of it but i was so focused on the movie being made and getting out there and getting done right that's all I remember until suddenly we were releasing it. So there was no drama behind the scenes right. that I was privy to. Right. Um, well, thank you for making a, a great movie. Yeah. And uh, thanks for coming I out. I really, all the way. really enjoyed it. And, I enjoyed um, the podcast tremendously. So. Um, oh, thanks. Um, and all of your all of the work you do really um a huge become a huge huge fan so <laughs> thank you on behalf of billions of people try not to let you down yeah <laughs> cool man all right thanks so much thank you all right oh didn't have record on Oof. check that every one minute <laughs> every time i'm recording has that ever happened um no not on the podcast that is all for this week's episode of what really happened You can, of course, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Andrew Jenks. What Really Happened is produced by the great Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Danny Garcia, Brian Gewertz, Seven Bucks Productions, and Cadence 13. Next week, we have Lara Borditsky, who is an, I don't know, just like blew my mind away. That's all I'll say. That's, that's uh, That's my teaser. She blew my mind away. That's next week on What Really Happened.